Did you know that right now there's a group of people running the business of their dreams? They are respected leaders in their field, working with clients they love and serving them profitably. Now, are they famous? Depends on who you ask. They're not signing autographs at the grocery store or taking selfies every five minutes. They're not trying to be everywhere on social media. Yet when they show up at trade events and conferences, they are recognized and sought after. They're the ones everyone else looks up to. They're the next generation of thought leaders in their space. So what's their secret? Well, they've become famously influential to the right people, and so can you. Today, we'll dig into the story of one of these leaders and deconstruct how they became micro-famous. You won't just come away inspired, you'll come away with a new strategy and a new way of thinking. So while your competition is scattered, chaotic, and chasing every shiny object, you can move forward with confidence and clarity. I'm your host, Matt Johnson, agency founder and author of Microfamous. And if you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, let's get started. What is up, thought leaders? Welcome back to Microfamous Conversations. I've got a killer conversation here. We went super, super deep on leadership, team building, and culture in remote working environments. And my guest today is Chris Martinez. He's the founder of dudeagency.io. In the agency world, you might be familiar with him because he's essentially built um, what I would call the Amazon AWS of the agency world, where he builds, he has a team of people, mostly based in Tijuana, Mexico, where they uh, deliver outsource services for other agencies. So it allows agencies to take on extra capacity, be more profitable and grow, um, and, and take advantage of extra capacity of, of his company. So super, super interesting niche. That's a whole other conversation we could have in and of itself because he's essentially making himself micro-famous within the agency world by running a super, super niche business that doesn't compete with other agencies in the same way that traditional agencies do. So that's a whole other conversation. We didn't get to that because we went super, super deep on the book that Chris is working on right now, which is all about how do you hire, how do you lead, and how do you create culture when you are in a virtual or remote work environment? And this is a question that a lot of us are struggling with and we're seeing other people struggle with um, in areas where maybe they were used to having their entire team come into the office or they worked for a big company and now they're getting into freelancing, consulting, whatever the case is. Or maybe you're just in the environment where all of a sudden, you know, you used to have a couple of people that worked in an office with you and now you can't do that anymore and everybody has to work from home and you're struggling to adjust. Whatever the case is, this conversation is for you. If you have to hire anybody that's under the age of 40, this conversation is for you. Because we go back in and Chris does kind of a sweeping overview uh, in, in a real quick fashion of just what's happened over the last 50 years that has gotten us to the point where the, the kids that are coming into and out of college right now that are coming into the entry-level workforce, what is going on in their heads? What are the things that they value? What are the things that they care about? What are they looking for? What are their weaknesses? What are their uh, personality assessments you know, coming back with? Uh, and how do you screen out the people that can't handle the uncertainty of being in an entrepreneurial environment or can't work in a remote work environment? How do you make sure that you have the right people? Uh, we got into some really nitty-gritty stuff on things that you can do in your hiring process, questions that you can ask. Um, there was a question uh, that Chris shared from their hiring process toward the end of the conversation that I promise you is worth the entire conversation. Um, so make sure to stick around for that. So I'm super, super excited. You can check out Chris. Just search for dudeagency.io. They're on Instagram as well, where they're sharing what they're doing with their team. And Chris is on really a mission uh, to change people's perception of the entire country of Mexico and its workforce. So he's got a really big mission, just a very, very cool topic for today. I'm really excited for you. So let's jump in with Chris. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Good to be here. 
I know we're going to have some fun because we're going to talk about those, those young whippersnappers. Uh, <laughs> so you, you and I are around the same age, born early eighties. Uh, we're yep. working and we're hiring people that are, you know, younger, under 30, sometimes fresh out of college, sometimes still in school. I've got an internship mm-hmm. program. So I'm hiring those folks. You've got an outsource agency that works with a lot of other agencies and, and you're hiring younger folks. And, Not only younger and, folks, but younger folks in another country. Yes, exactly. And multiple other countries. So we've got a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff to get into, but uh, I want to talk just a little bit about just right up front. Uh, you and I both are, are running kind of remote teams mm-hmm. and, uh, and let's, let's just briefly give some insight into how you, how do you show good leadership when everybody's remote? Because there, there are some misconceptions about that, that it's hard to lead or that it's hard for other people to kind of rise up through the ranks if everything's virtual. I don't yep. necessarily agree. I, I think you probably wouldn't agree with that either. But uh, as a leader, is there anything that you do differently leading remotely versus in person? Uh, there's a lot of things. And, um, you know, I think that, well, so I'm, we were talking about this earlier. I'm writing a book on remote working. Um, I should have it done by the end of the month. And actually, if I say that it's going to be done by the end of the month, and now I've made the commitment on air and I have to have it ready. Um, so I'm, I'm doing, I'm writing a book and I actually, I went to school for sociology and sociology is essentially the way that a culture influ- influences the way that an individual behaves and, and the things that they believe in and that they value. And so as I'm doing this research for my book, it's very, very interesting as to how we've gotten to a point in our society here in the United States where you have some people who are just, it seems like they're physically incapable of operating in a remote world, right? And then you have some people who are very easy, you know, they, they adapt very easily, which is, I don't know if it's the only time that it's been like that. Obviously, we haven't had a pandemic of this, like this magnitude since, you know, 1918 or something like that. Um, but it is really, really interesting to see how in the workplace, the the culture is impacting how people can adapt to a remote working environment. And I definitely think that what you did as a leader in an in-house environment does not always directly translate to a remote environment. And I, I think many people would agree with me. Um, when it comes to leadership, you have to have the right people, right? So like, I, I think that it goes back even further than what we're at today. Like if you're struggling running your team, like you have to really evaluate the people that you have on your team and then mm-hmm. see if they're capable of operating in a remote environment. Some people aren't, some people are just not capable. And so I think as a leader, you have to recognize that. And then of course, if we can get them to that stage where they can adapt to this, to this new working environment, then great. But um, also sometimes you just have to realize when it's time to cut the cord and, you know, it's time for them to go find another place to, to work. Um, yeah, that makes sense. So step one, make sure you've got people that, that seem to be capable of, of operating in a working environment, like a remote environment. Yeah. I, I have some things that I look for, like, cause you know, cause we're, we're hiring remotely. So you kind of watch for things like, you know, do they show up on time prepared? Um, yep. Do they seem confused by the technology? You know, do they make mistakes in just the process of being interviewed to kind of give like tips their hand that yep. they're not comfortable in that environment? Is there anything like that that you kind of look for? Yeah. So we have a very, very thorough and intense hiring process because we, you know, we, 
very much believe that our people are our most strongest assets. Um, without great people, none of this works. And so, um, you know, we have an eight step hiring process that we put people through. And the first thing that we're looking at is the, is their actual personality. Like we're looking at the soft mm-hmm. skills. Um, you know, like obviously like we hire designers and developers, so they have to have that technical side, but if they don't have the personality and the cultural fit and they don't have the right values, then it's never going to work. So we screen them initially for the personality. Like we're looking at how they respond to a questionnaire that we give them. Do they fill it out thoroughly? You know, and then we do a phone interview and we're listening to how they actually communicate Um, are they rude? Like we have had people be rude on the phone interview, which is insane. Mm -hmm. Um, and then actually when they finally make it to the input, there's like eight steps. So once they finally make it to the in-person interview, which is like the last stage, um, we have them interview with multiple people and it's a pretty long interview and every single person that is that on our team that's interviewing that candidate, they all have to agree that this is somebody that's great and that it's somebody that they would want on their team. If one person doesn't agree, then we uh, we automatically exclude that candidate. Oh wow! And what's great is that you know everybody's going to have a different perspective. And then I personally like that you know we're we're putting them under pressure. And by the time they get to that fourth interview, um, they've been with it you know sitting in the office for at least two hours, and they're tired. And so you really get to see who that person is, and you can see what they're made of. Um, and I had an instance where I was the fourth person to interview a candidate and she was just tired and annoyed and she was a nightmare. And so I'm glad that that happened because we ended right. up dismissing that candidate, yep. you know? Um, so those are the steps that we take to make sure that we have great people. And then internally we have systems and processes to make sure that, um, we're taking care of our folks. I think that one of the things that we do specifically right now is that we put a big emphasis on mental health with all of our staff. And, um, you know, like it's kind of, um, it's kind of taboo in American society. Um, I would say it's probably taboo in Mexican society where we have most of our staff Mm -hmm. as well. Um, but you know, like I credit therapy with like saving my life and like, you know, I think we kind of had similar backgrounds where like childhood shit just kind of carries over. And now as we're older, we're like, "Ah, that's why I'm so stupid at that aspect of my life. Um, but like, you know, I've dealt with it. And so, you know, we're, we're, we are very upfront about talking to our staff is like, Hey, how are you guys doing? Like, are you feeling stressed? I know that it's difficult. It's okay. If you're sad, it's okay. If you're depressed or if you're anxious, if you want to talk to somebody, that's okay. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We can refer you to therapists. You can, you know, you can have somebody to talk to you through Zoom calls or whatever. And so I think that that's one of the things that's really helping us to keep our solidarity with our team members um, is just talking about those little things um, and just acknowledging that, you know, like it's okay to like feel weird and be a little bit anxious about everything that's going on. Um, and I mean, dude, this like coronavirus is, is, is very much in our faces. One of our staff members lost an aunt, uh, or actually I can't remember if it was an aunt or an uncle. Um, one of our clients, his father died three weeks ago from coronavirus. So like, and then just down here, like it's, it's everywhere. Um, just like it is in the States and all over the world. So, you know, and people deal with different that those stressors, like they deal with them differently. And so we just want to make sure that we're supportive of our people, and letting them know that, hey, no matter what it is that you need, like we're here and we're going to get through this together. Nobody gets left behind. And so, you know, 
just, you know, feel free, like you can reach out to us and let us know if there's anything that you need. Yeah, I agree. And that, that's been big for us too. Um, I, I don't know that I would have articulated it quite like that in terms of like it being an emphasis on mental health. Um, cause I think oh, about I straight it up more, say, I, I straight up say yeah. like, that's, that's, you know, something you got to take care of. Yeah. Exactly. I say your, your physical health and your mental health yeah. are crucial. Yeah. If you don't have those in order, then it's going to be really hard for you to get all the other stuff going. Oh yeah, totally. Cause uh, yeah, it's, it's all the other life stuff. Uh, I mean, you know, some people are just driven enough that none of that stuff stops them, but that, that's a rare person. Like, mm-hmm. and as entrepreneurs, like we know it, um, if you talk to any business coach who helps entrepreneurs grow their business, they'll tell you it's the life stuff that keeps entrepreneurs from, from growing. So yeah, we've, we've made, you know, kind of a special effort to like for our staff in the Philippines, like we make sure that they are connected to each other and not just mm-hmm. to the rest of their team that are in other places. That way they've got people to rely on that are in the same culture, you know, dealing with the same tech issues, dealing with the same storms, like all that stuff so that they can, mm-hmm. they have people that they know that they can lean on besides just the people that are, that are working with them in other countries. And, uh, and, and yeah, just basically always assuming, assuming positive intent on their part, that they're good people that want to do a good job and, um, and always giving people the benefit of the doubt unless proven otherwise. And it takes, you know, it takes a good chunk of, of things happening to be proven otherwise. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't have like a hair trigger in terms of how we treat, you know, mistakes, delays, stuff like that. We just always try to assume positive intent and know that for the most part, they just want to do a good job. And that's what yeah. I found. You know, what's really interesting about Mexico is that, um, it, you know, the, the business culture here is much different than in the States. And it's probably to how the States was, you know, 50 years ago. Um, management, it's it's a very top-down authoritarian management style here, typically. Mm. And so, you know, the, the manager knows everything. And you're just some peon and just do what you're told. <laughs> and then on top of that, like if you make a mistake they don't, they don't give people allowances to make mistakes or take risks and try and grow. Right. right. And so what that does is that like, they're afraid if they make a mistake that they're going to get fired. And then oftentimes people will like try and cover up their mistakes. Yes. And so we're very like, when they start with us, we're like, Hey, like it, you're, you're expected to ask questions. We don't expect you to know everything. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you don't know how to do something like that's totally okay, you know, just ask questions. And so we let them know that it's like a completely different environment and we're here working together as a team. Oftentimes it's something they've never even seen before or heard of before. And so we're, at, we're training them on how to be team players and how to just raise their hand if they're having an issue and also to take risks, right? And, and to let them know that it's okay, like if you make a mistake, right? And we're going we're gonna to solve it together. Yeah. So that, that also really, really helps with the culture and um, with our own company culture and, um, you know, getting through difficult times together. All right. So then let's get into the, the nitty gritty a little bit on some of the cultural and, and sociological differences between working mm-hmm. with folks that are just like in school, coming out of school that like that age group where they're about 15, 20 years younger than, than you and I are different yep. upbringing growing up with the internet in most, mm-hmm. in some cases, not, not every, in all uh, countries, but certainly in the United States, like these are completely different animals. Uh, you and I grew up essentially, we didn't get the internet until we were what, 15, 17. 
Yeah, I remember my buddy had it AOL and we would go into the chat room <laughs> and try and meet girls. <laughs> I, however, got a computer inherited from my grandmother because nice. she had the latest greatest because she did the newsletter for a missionary. And that's where my oh, first family's nice. computer came from. But anyway, awesome. uh, so yeah, diff- different experiences. I didn't get to hop on and try to pick up girls on, on AOL. <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to try that tomorrow. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk about just what, what are the, some of the things that you're seeing hiring folks that are in their early 20s? Yeah, so let's talk about some of the historical um, kind of data that I've uncovered while writing my book. So, um, you know, there's been a few major shifts in the American, and we're talking specifically about American society. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been a few major cultural shifts that have occurred over the past 40 years. And um, so one of the first ones is the shift in the, well, obviously everybody knows about uh, World War II and Rosie the Riveter. And and that led to the feminist movement in the um, 50s, 60s, 70s. Mm -hmm. Um, and so basically what happened is that more women were like, well, women, um, and minorities as well were like, Hey, you know, we don't have to stay at home. We don't have to take these, you know, menial jobs. Like we did all this stuff during the war. We want to continue that we're capable. And so then you see a shift in women moving into the workforce, um, and not just, um, staying at home and taking care of the kids. Fast forward to about the 19, uh, late 1970s. And you actually have, and I believe it was started by like marketing companies, marketing agencies. Um, you see a shift in the way that we classify women who stay home and take care of the kids. So in the 1950s, what they were called, like a woman who stays home and takes care of the kids was called what? Uh, homemaker, housewife? homemaker, housewife. Exactly. Housewife. Right. Gotcha. Now, what are they called? That is a great question. Stay at home mom. Yep. Okay. That's wow. It. That's, so that, that is way strategic. outside of my present reality. So I'm, I'm surprised is, I got any of those. I right. know. Well, so that is, that was specifically, that's, that was a strategic thing that happened in the seventies. Really? Right. And it's because Marketing agencies, like all these women that were in the workforce that now have job titles, right? They're now important. They're contributing members of society. The women that were at home were feeling like, hey, I contribute too. And so then marketing agencies basically created this new title of stay-at-home mom. Interesting. So what happens then is that the focus when you're a house, well, the focus of the housewife, and this is actually kind of has a religious context too, mm-hmm. is to take care of the home. Right. So when you when you talk to uh, when you look at like um, Judeo Christianity or whatever, it's God, spouse, kids. Right. If you look at the level of importance. Um, And so um, the home was the focus um, and, and, you know, keeping dinner ready for the husband when he comes home from work and all that crap. But it was about managing like the like yeah the husband was the breadwinner went outside the home the the, Managing, the wife the home, ran the home yeah yes the, the wife's job was to run the home yeah. and the home was the focus the kids were secondary mm-hmm. now when we created this term of uh, stay at home mom the focus is the kids the yeah. kids are the job right the mom is supposed to take care of the kids the house is secondary and then on top of that you know a lot of people don't even clean like a lot of women who stay at home don't even clean the house they have housekeepers right mm-hmm. and so that was a major shift in the the setup of the nuclear family and then that also um started to coincide with this um movement to increase self esteem right. and so um kids were like 
I can't remember um, the exact, socio- I think it was a German sociologist who created this um, term of like so self-esteem. And, and uh, actually in California, there was a politician, I think in um, 1985, I can't remember his name right now. He created a bill and whole, his whole platform was that like, if we want to improve the, um, you know, the po- improve poverty and um, create more socioeconomic uh, economic opportunities for people, we need to raise self-esteem. Now, mm-hmm. I agree that self-esteem is incredibly important. The difference was how people wanted to go about raising self-esteem. Yeah. Out of that movement, you had this, um, you know, everybody is special, the, you know, the trophies for doing nothing. And that was a major, major parenting change. So you had kids are the focus and kids can also do no wrong. Right. right? And that like changed a lot. And so what you're seeing now is that people who are in their twenties, thirties, and then, you know, some, some in their forties, but not, not as much, um, they were raised with this new parenting style. And so their values are a lot different. And that's why you Mm -hmm. see also increases in anxiety. And like, when you look at the number of personality disorders that we have today as a society in the United States, it's insane. It's like almost 20% of the population has schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, or some form of personality disorder like narcissism. Um, What's the other one that I was thinking of? Uh, There's like three main personality disorders. Mm -hmm. I think it's like, it's actually like 16% of the population is said to have schizophrenia, bipolar, or some form of um, mental health uh, personality disorder. And um, so I don't know if you can make the correlation that the parenting style had something to do with that. Um, I could also be the food, you know, or the the over-medication that we have in our society. But you've basically got this perfect storm of people who are very, very anxious. Um, They don't deal with uncertainty very well. And then on top of that, we have two uh, in we have nine eleven right in two thousand and one, and that just brings on even more uncertainty into the world. And so you have all these people who are just they have absolutely no idea where to go, and they don't have the skills to be able to manage the uncertainty that comes with being an American right now. Right. So now twenty twenty, and we have this pandemic, and it dude, it's insane. Like, and so you have, it's really, really difficult for people to, to be able to handle all the craziness that's going on. They just flat out do not have the mental capacity, in my personal opinion. They don't have the mental capacity to deal with these things. Now, is it everybody? No. Right. But it's, it's, you know, let's just say it's 20% of the population. And it's especially true with people that are in their twenties that are going into the workforce. Hmm. So when it comes to hiring, you have to take all that into consideration and, and realize like, what are the factors that went into their personal development and what are they looking for? You know, so a lot of them are looking for security, but they want to feel like they're a part of something bigger. So that's definitely something that we emphasize with our staff down here in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um, It's like, you know, like, for the most part, like they don't have to worry about where their next meal is going to be. They've never had to worry about where their next meal is going to be. They can't even relate to people who've had to struggle with like that type of financial insecurity. Um, so they want to feel like they're a part of something bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, that's a big part of like our hiring process. And we actually have a recruiting video that we created that tells the story of like our company and what we're looking to accomplish and our mission. And it's like, you know, we're looking to change the world. We want to change the way that people, um, 
you know, perceive of Mexico as a country. That's like our big thing. We want to create the best place to work in Tijuana, Mexico. Um, you know, so there's all these other things that go into it. And like when I would interview people, I would say like, you know, like you can go develop anywhere. I stole this from uh, John Scully, who was, uh, came to Apple or he, this is what Steve Jobs said to John Scully to get him to come to Apple. Right. Um, I said, you know, you can go be a developer anywhere or you can come here and you can help change the world. Right. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's you know, that, that resonates with people. <laughs> yeah. Totally. So what Steve Jobs said to John Scully is like, you can go sell sugar water anywhere. Or you can come here and you can change the world, <laughs> but that works. That works with our people that we're, that we're hiring today. So it works from a cultural standpoint because we do want people who care. They do care about the bigger picture. They want something bigger and better for their own lives. Um, and, and, you know, like it helps with our mission as well. And, and it fits the culture, you know, with those types of people. So I know that was a very long winded answer to your question, but I had to give you, I had to give you the overall context because yes. I geek out on all this research that I've been doing for the book. Dude, um, I'm, I'm excited for the book now. Yeah. Cause I, cause I geek out on this stuff too. Um, so, so let's talk about the values and before we close out, cause I know our, our time is limited. And so we've got the big scope. So we understand kind of how they got this way. Um, so so my, my two questions on that to follow up would be, number one, does the hiring process help to filter out the people that can't handle the level of uncertainty? Are you trying to do that? Yes, 100%. Okay, perfect. That, that's, yes, yeah, that, that would be my first reaction too. So the second thing is just what are the differences in what they value. So you mentioned just a couple of them, but let's dig deeper if we can on that. Uh, mm -hmm. What other values do you think are they, are they different early 20s, mid 20s versus you and me? So I can only speak to my company um, and what we're doing to hire people that are good fit for us. So our people that we hire, you know, I say we're the, the band of misfit toys. Um, we, everybody at our company has felt like there's a different way that there's a better way that my life doesn't have to fit in with what society tells me that it has to be. Okay. You know, like Mexican society says, you go to school, you get a job, you work forever, you know, and uh, you get a house one day and not a, like we all think differently and they all believe with the, you know, um, authoritarian management style, you know, you just climb the ladder or whatever, <clears throat> put your head down, shut up, do what you're told. Da, 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 da. And so we want people that problem solve. We want people that work together, um, that understand the value of teamwork, that aren't trying to fuck each other over to get ahead, you know, which is kind of like the typical corporate mentality here. And so we specifically are looking at those per that person's values and what, they're, what they want. Um, and we do actually give them a test. It's called a psychometric exam. And it does evaluate um, their their strengths and weaknesses, um, as well as their values, how their brain works, and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so we are specifically looking for those that aspect within their personality. You know, like do they really care about other people? Mm -hmm. do, are they willing to sacrifice themselves for the good of the team? Hmm. And that's rare in uh, in technical you know recruiting. When you're looking for designers, developers, they typically just want people who have the technical skills yeah. and we say, obviously they have to have the technical skills, but if they're an asshole, like that's not going to be a good fit for our company. So that's definitely like one thing that we screen for um, when we're looking at candidates. And then I think the byproduct is that you have people who are more adaptable when they see that there's a different way. Uh, when they see that this company operates differently, 
then they just naturally will align their values with the company's values. And then it ends up being a perfect fit because mm-hmm. they're never going to find anything like what we do anywhere else. Yeah. And I would say that it's going to be rare for them to find a company that operates like our, like we do anywhere on the planet. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I just feel like most people, uh, most companies in our space are just looking at technical skills mm-hmm. and that's going to be, you know, a good fit for some people, but it's not a good fit for us. Yeah. That answer your question. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the adaptability part is, uh, is good and, and putting them through like the hiring process, like you mentioned, I think it's going to test that pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something you said about the problem solving that reminded me, and I, I don't think it's this way anymore because now we have the internship program that kind of solves this for us. But in the early days when I was putting together like a, like an assessment to put VAs through, mm-hmm. I realized that at one point I had built something where the graphic that I provided wasn't the right size. Mm-hmm. And I was just about to fix the problem because it was something that could be easily fixed whether you have a graphics program or not. Mm-hmm. And I thought, nope, I'm going to leave that in there the way it is because it just creates this little moment where I know for sure that they're going to hit a roadblock. And if I, and if I hear back from them that, Hey, like I wasn't able to do this because the graphic, like it's a change that effectively they could easily make if they think it mm-hmm. through one step beyond, yeah. I knew right there that they weren't active problem solvers. So there's little things you can do like in the hiring process and putting them through live assessments or in our case, mm-hmm. now we just you know, launched a full blown internship program. So we actually get to see how they perform yep. for a month before we like bring them into our agency for, for real, for real. But yeah, there, there are things like the, you know, you can, you can say that you look out for things or you can actually build it into the process to expose whether they have the qualities you want or not. I think it's up to us as leaders to kind of go that one step further and look for ways to build that into our hiring process. Cause I know you guys have done that and there's probably little things that you've learned along the way in your hiring process that now you, you want, like you want them to be that way because they uncover those, those qualities like problem solving and adaptability. Yeah, honestly, the psychometric test has been very, very helpful um, because you don't always want to go off of just feeling like feeling is important. You do have to listen to your gut. You need some sort of quantitative um, assessment so that you can make sure that your own personal biases are not getting in the way. Right. Right. And so that's why we learn we lean on both of those when we're making our our evaluations of the candidates. Mm-hmm. Psychometrics gives us kind of like that quantitative approach. And then the interviews with multiple people that gives us kind of like the gut feeling so that everybody yeah. is able to, you know, contribute and make sure that there's not something that we missed because every person has their own internal biases. It's just, there's no getting around it. We all have biases. Um, and so you don't want that to get in the way of finding a great person. And I personally, and this is part of, well, this can be a, a negative bias for me is I personally believe in finding unhidden talent, right? I believe in the underdog because mm-hmm. I've always felt like I've been the underdog. Right. And so sometimes I root for people who just aren't a good fit, right? Because <laughs> I want them to win. I want them to win so bad. I've done this with clients too, where like I get attached to a client and I'm like, oh man, that was a waste of time. Yeah. Um yeah, I know but, what you, mean. you know, it's just, it's just one of those things. And that's why you need other people to basically lean on so they can call you out mm-hmm. when, you know, you're, you might be pushing for somebody that isn't really a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really good. That is a great point. Uh, yeah. The, the inner bias thing, you know, when you're, when you're an entrepreneur hiring somebody to work with you on a daily basis, um, I remember my old uh, CEO of the agency that I used to work for, 
telling me like, basically, yeah, like make sure they have the tech skills, make sure they have the stuff like that. But at the bottom line, like if you're going to be working with them every day, it's got to be somebody that you want to work with. Yeah, absolutely. But once you get beyond the level and you're like hiring people that they're just kind of going into one of the teams, then you got to think like that, but for them mm-hmm. and force them to tell you like, Hey, is this somebody that you really want to show up and work with because you enjoy their personality? Like I get it. So let's assume they have the tech skills. Do you actually want to show up and work with them? Do they motivate you? Can you guys encourage each other? Is it somebody you can picture yourself getting along with? Um, yep. And it's, sometimes it's hard to get people to just be honest. And, uh, and so, yeah, helping, helping them to understand that, no, this is, this is like we value the culture and the teamwork uh, so much to the point where if you have a gut feeling about somebody that this is not somebody that you want to work side by side with every day, you just give me yeah. the word and they're out. Yep. And, and, you know, there's actually a second part to that question. So we asked them if it's somebody that you would want on your team. We also, everybody has to agree that it's somebody that they would be comfortable working under one day. Ooh, that's, that's another great second part to that question. So like you have to be like, yeah, I wouldn't mind working for that person one day. Mm-hmm. So that completely changes it as well. I'll bet it does. Yeah. <laughs> that's interesting. Wow. That's really good. That's uh, that, that, that little nugget there is worth the entire podcast episode. This has been really good, man. Um, Thank you. Let's, uh, let's finish out with this. So I know you've got the book coming out because um, you're going to write it by the end of the month because you have committed on the yeah, podcast. But, I'm like uh, 60% of the way through. So All right, good. Um, so tell us a little bit about where we can keep in touch and then just give like the, um, the 60 second bio on the agency. So if people are listening, uh, they kind of know who your bread or butter person is so they can keep you in mind for referrals. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, you can go to our website, dudeagency.io. Um, and then we all are, we're always putting funny, fun stuff on the social medias on Instagram, uh, dudeagency.io. And then I think on Facebook, it's facebook.com forward slash dude dash agency. I think, (laughs) um, but in terms of what we do, you know, so I started an agency back in 2012. Um, I had my team in the Philippines and the challenge with the Philippines is the time zone and Mm -hmm. just some cultural communication challenges. They're great people. Um, and so then I was like, I got to find another place, tried everywhere on the world. I was living in San Diego. I was like, I wonder if I can go find people down in Tijuana, Mexico, um, which Americans never think to go down there. And it, it was a, I went down there, set up a company, figured out the culture and how to hire people. And um, it was a complete game changer for my own agency. And then in 2017, I was like, I want to help other agencies get access to this um, talent that I call like the hidden gem of design and development. And that's when I launched Dude. And so now, um, you know, our agencies are usually great at sales and getting new clients for themselves. And they're great at doing the strategy um, for their clients. And they struggle on the operations and the fulfillment. And that's where we come in as we give them the people as well as the processes so that they can take on more projects and they can scale profitably. Profitably is the key. Um, you know, revenue is, you know, nice, but uh, it is frustrating when you bring on a new client, uh, a bunch of new clients, and then you're like, hey, I don't have more money in the bank. Um, and that's where, you know, we give them the talent as well as we show them how they can uh, fine tune their processes so they can actually have more profit at the end of the day. Yeah. So that's what we Love do. Dudeagency.io. Yes, sir. All right, man. Chris, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening to the Micro Famous Podcast. If you're ready to become famously influential to the right people, connect with us at getmicrofamous.com. It's the best way to take the next step to implementing the Micro Famous strategy in your business so you can attract an audience, build influence, and become the Micro Famous leader you're meant to be. And we'll see you on the next episode.